Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the, the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Friend, who set me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, what should I do, for I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build large ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God just said to him, You fool! This very night your life is being demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. This is the word of God for the people of God. It is easy to begin to focus on the man in the parable and what he did or didn't do right and why Jesus is telling the story. But before we get there, I think we need to think about this other man, and that is the man who asked the question that prompted the parable. Our biblical scholars tell us that there is a law governing how inheritance was to be done. You can find it in the book of Deuteronomy. It says that the oldest son should get two-thirds of the inheritance, a younger son, one-third. Presumably, in this story we have today, this is a younger son trying to get Jesus involved in this experience of division of property or of wealth or of riches. And he's saying to Jesus, how about you help me get more? How about you bring me half? Would you be the judge of whether or not that should happen. Jesus decides not to be involved in that discussion the way the younger son has invited him to, but seems to be noticing a spirit of greed or a spirit of selfishness that the younger son is wanting more. It's not that he's not getting anything, just that he wants more than what is his share. Unfortunately, I think sometimes we are in that same boat. Most often we are not people without anything. We all have something. Most of us just want more. If we could just have a little more. We could just get a little more. We could just rake in a little more. Then maybe we would feel secure or feel better or be in the right place or look the right way. Now, Jesus is not saying ambition is a bad thing. He's not saying don't do your best. He's rather addressing an attitude, I think, that's behind some of our actions, and he wants us to take care or beware or be cautious about what motivates us and what's going on inside of us, and is it all about us and what we can claim for ourselves, or do we have a larger heart or larger spirit in the matter? Because, you see, Jesus knows that greed is destructive to us. 
A few years ago, I had opportunity to be in Colorado during the summer for vacation. Now, I, I like to play golf, but I realized a few years ago that I actually talk a lot more about playing golf than actually playing. I talk about it all the time. I just don't go very often. But here we were in Colorado, and you know, in Colorado, you're up higher. The air is thinner. That means if you hit the ball... Anywhere close to square, it flies further. It goes higher and further, and you begin to think, I am pretty good at this. So it was a beautiful course. I'm playing around the golf. I'm keeping my score as I go along. I'm not even noticing how I am doing until I get finished with number seven, getting ready for number eight. I'm having to wait on the fellows in front of me, and so I add up my score. 31 strokes. 31 strokes so far. Two holes to go, each a par four. That means eight more. That means 39 for the nine holes. I'd never broken 40. I thought, 39, this is it. This is my day. It's going to be the best day ever. I'm going to do this. And you know what happened? I had this explosion of greed inside of me, you know, because I had not practiced to shoot a 39. I hadn't been playing every week. I hadn't concentrated on it, but I wanted it. But I wanted it so badly that on the next hole I got a six. On the next hole I got a six. And it was ruined, even though it was better than what I usually shoot. But that explosion of greed had taken over. I think it ruined the next two holes. But it sure taught me that that attitude of greed and, and wanting more all the time can be a destructive thing in our lives. Have you ever experienced that? It can happen in our careers. It can happen with our friends and our neighbors where we see somebody else has that. You think, well, I want that. They got a new car. I want one. Now, maybe you didn't save for one and they did, but, you know, that doesn't matter when greed takes over. It's like, that's nice. I think I deserve that, don't I? And that greed begins to grow within us, and it is a destructive thing. And Jesus is addressing that here today. If you still have your Bible open, look with me in verse 15. And Jesus said to them, take care. And in my Bible, there's an exclamation point. Take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possession. Jesus is giving us some advice here in terms of how best to live our lives and let me be clear, I like nice things. I like it when I get new things. I just had a birthday, got some new things. That was fun. I like shiny things. But if they take over your life, Jesus is saying, beware. It can be a problem. You see, the key is to realize they are things, possessions. And as Jesus said, one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. So that's his first response. And then he told them a parable. Verse 16, The land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, and then in the next six verses, six times, I mean in the next two verses, he says, I. Listen to how Jesus tells the story. He's talking about the rich man and the rich man thought to himself, what should I do? 
for I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and goods, and I will say to my soul, and that's a turning point, soul. And he starts talking about how he's secure eternally in a sense. He is not a rich fool because he's rich. He's a rich fool because he thinks his abundance is the total of life and all he's thinking about is himself and his stuff. Now he could have told the parable that the man was richly blessed and had an abundant harvest and then the man said, thank you Lord, thanks God for blessing me. Or he could have said, oh my gosh Lord, thank you for giving me this. Who can I help? And began to serve somebody else. How can I make a difference? I've been richly blessed. I have an abundance. How shall I share it with someone else for good? But Jesus says in the parable, that's not what the man thought at all. That did not cross his mind. He thought about, I, 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 what am I going to do? It was all about himself. And he lost any kind of broader perspective in terms of what God might be doing or what might be going on in the world or where he might play a role in that. Now, here we are in the United States, richest country ever. We all have something. And are we thinking about primarily how can I get more? Or are we thinking about how can I use what God has given me to serve someone else? How can I cooperate with God so that God might build the kingdom of God here on earth? What do you think about when you get a raise, when you get a bonus, when you get an inheritance? Is it all about what I can do now? Or do you have a broader vision? Is your security related to just your possessions? Or are you anchored in God's love? It makes a real difference. And Jesus is trying to get us to hear that. We're not done with the parable yet. The most startling part is yet to come. If you look in verse 20, Jesus is telling the parable, and he says, But God said. This is the only parable Jesus tells in which God speaks directly. But God said to him, You fool. It's an exclamation point again. You fool. Do you think Jesus feels strongly about this? You think Jesus thinks this is important? You fool! This very night, your life is being demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. Can you hear the contrast? It's more than physical experience we're having there's something deep there's a spiritual level here that Jesus is trying to get his listeners to think about have you seen that movie what do women want it came out a few years ago but I saw it again this week it starred Mel Gibson and Helen Hunt Nick and Darcy they're both advertising executives it's a clever movie but it's not a PG movie just warn you got some graphic language and scenes in it but it does a great job of showing a bit of what we're talking about here today Nick is this advertising executive who's done really well he's kind of winked and worked his way to the top I mean he's smooth he's slick 
he just gets everything he wants. And the creative director of his advertising firm has retired. And everyone's already telling him, you're the man. You're going to get it any day now. They're going to tell you, you're the guy. And Nick thinks, yeah, that's right. I am the guy. And sure enough, his boss calls him up to his office. And so people are already congratulating him on the way up. And he gets there and his boss begins to say, you know, Nick, you've been great. You've led our agency. You've done this. You've done that. And he just begins to puff up. I mean, he can feel it coming. This is going to be his big day. And then his boss says, and so that's why it's so hard to tell you that I've hired Darcy McGuire to be the new creative director. And it's like he put a pin in his balloon. I mean, he can't believe it. Not only did he not get it, but his boss had the audacity to give it to a woman. He doesn't respect women. You've already seen in the movie, he uses women but he doesn't care about women. He does not respect them. And now his dream job has been given to somebody else. But he's so smooth, he decides he'll play along. He'll act like he's going to support her and that he's going to be part of the team still. But he looks for every opportunity to sabotage her. She comes in one morning with a big pink box and says to them, you know, our problem here is that we have not marketed well to women. The key to the future of this company's growth is that we learn to market to women better. Please open your boxes. And they open their boxes, and it's full of toenail polish and fingernail polish and lipstick. And Nick has no use for any of this, but he plays like he's really interested. He takes the box home with him. That night, he begins to drink all alone, thinking about this. And he decides, I really don't know anything about this. Maybe I should try some of these. And so he paints his fingernails. Then he paints his toenails. Then he tries on the pantyhose. And then there's some product that's supposed to give his hair more volume. And so he's trying that. And as he's doing that, he also has some bath oil beads. And he's trying to juggle all this. He loses his balance. He falls into the bathtub with the hair dryer. And he's electrocuted to unconsciousness. He wakes up the next morning. Now stay with me. This is a movie. He wakes up the next morning... <laughs> And he can read the thoughts of every woman he talks to. He hears what they're thinking, even if they don't say it. And so he begins to pick up on what everything is going on. And he figures out, you know what? I can use this to sabotage her even more. So every time she has a good idea, he says it out loud before she can say it. When she starts to describe something, he listens to what she's thinking. He chimes in. It looks like he's right with her. And all of a sudden, he looks brilliant. But because he can hear her thoughts, he realizes that she really is a smart person. And she really is very sensitive. And she really does care about the people around her and building a team. And it begins to change the way Nick thinks about her. And his respect grows. And then he begins to care about her. And through his relationship with her, his life begins to change. He's heard the thoughts of other women in the office. There's one he's heard. She just kind of delivers the mail. And she's wondering, if, if I didn't show up one day, would anybody even notice? She says, I think not. And then one morning, the mail's still piled there. And everyone's saying, where's the geek in the glasses that delivers the mail? And Nick remembers what she thought. He rushes across town searches down the alleyways until he finds her apartment because sure enough, she's getting ready to take her life. 
And he saves her life. But even more importantly than that, he has a teenage daughter that he's basically ignored his whole life because he's been all about himself. And he begins to listen to her and think about her needs and respond to those and begin to rebuild a relationship with her. And it changes her life as well. In the beginning of the movie, Nick is very much like the rich fool. It's all about him. But by the end of the movie, his heart and his mind have been expanded. And he's caring about all the people around him. And you can see the transformation. And that he's going to have a richer, more abundant life. Not focused on his possessions and all the money he can make. But focused on the relationships of the people around him. And he begins to see a bigger perspective on life. Where are you in life? Back in 2000, I was serving here at the church. I had just started my 14th year. I was having a great time. United Methodist ministers move on average less than every four years. I was here in my 14th year. It was a great thing. I thought as long as Dr. Biggs is the pastor, they're going to let me be the associate. I love that. And then I came home from vacation one weekend, and the superintendent had called, and they had another idea. And they were sending me to Enid. I mean, it's west of I-35. Who would want to go out there is sort of how I felt. I loved it. It was a great church. We had a great time. But at the time, I wasn't ready to go. I was talking with my uncle about it and telling him about the opportunity. And I said, and it is supposed to be a great church, and I do get a raise. And he said, that's great, David, but the trick is don't spend all the raise. And I said, now, how's that? And he said, when you get more money, what people in America do, they spend all of it, and then they spend a little bit more, and you can get a raise and end up in more debt than you've ever been in. So the trick is don't spend all your raise. And I said, oh, yeah, that's right. I got it. Guess what we did when we went to Enid? We spent all the raise. We had to buy a house. We bought a really nice house. We bought new cars. I mean, just there was always something else, something else. Oh, we've got more money. Let's spend it. And it's really hard to tell sometimes this line that you cross about whether you need something or not. It's hard to know when one moves from need to greed. And it creeps in all the time. We live in a culture that tells us that the good life is just one purchase away. I mean, get that new phone and you're going to be somebody... Get another 99 channels and your 199 channels. What your life will be complete. Get the right designer clothing and you'll feel whole. But it's a false promise. I find that it doesn't last very long. I mean, it's fun, but in the long haul, over a lifetime, things and possessions alone leave you empty. Jesus understands that. He's given these folks, particularly this younger son, some advice because he's wanting more, just a little more. Jesus, just help me get a little more of that inheritance and I'll be all right. Jesus says life is more than material possessions. It's more importantly about relationships. 
And maybe that's why Jesus says in the beginning of this passage, when the younger brother asked him to get involved, he says, I'm not going to be the judge of that. And he tells them a parable. Well, it made me think as I was looking at all this of John Wesley. He's the founder of the Methodist movement. He did so many things well. And he really understood this whole idea of not being captured by your possessions. And he was also a note taker. I mean, he wrote down something every day about his life. And so he was an Anglican priest, but he worked most of his life and for his income as a professor at Oxford University. And he noted at the first year of that that he was paid 30 pounds and he lived on 28 and he gave two away. But he did really well, so he went from 30 pounds up to 60 and then 90, and by the end of his life, 120 pounds. And he continued to write in his journal that he lived on 28. That first year he lived on 28, gave away two. Next year lived on 28, gave away the more and the more and the more. And I'm amazed at his discipline, and I'm inspired by his example. But the record also shows that he didn't have a very good relationship with his wife. I think maybe he could have been a little less rigid at home, lived on a little more than the 28 they lived on the first year, and he would have done a little better. But his rule of thumb is still a good one for us. I've put it in your outline. Wesley's rule went like this. Earn all you can. Save all you can. And by that he means be thrifty, not build your 401k necessarily, but be thrifty. Save all you can and give all you can. So earn all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. Do we hear that in our passage today? It's important for us to hear, I think. Jesus says it with apparently great vigor. Take care, exclamation point. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. This is an important message. I want to hear this gospel message, but not only hear it, I want to act on it. And that's what is important for all of us, to hear the gospel, but also to live it out, to make sure we're practicing it, that we not just hear it here and say, wow, that's fun, or that's great, or that's meaningful. But does it change anything when you leave this building? Are there any adjustments you need to make? Are your priorities in order? Do you find your identity and your security from your things, from your possessions? Or are you anchored in God's love and grace? Are you looking just to the next promotion in your life? Or are you asking, where is God leading me? What does God have in store for me? What would God like for me to do with all that I've been given? Do you have any adjustments you need to make? In our program staff meeting a few weeks ago, we were talking about a little bit of this, and someone suggested that we engage in a study called Financial Peace University. It's by Dave Ramsey. Some of you have heard of it. Some of you have probably taken the class. But quickly, all of us said, you know, we should do that. And so we set some dates beginning next month where we're going to make time every week to meet together and walk through this Financial Peace University because we want to make the right adjustments. We want to make sure we keep things in order. We want to make sure we're sensitive to how God might be leading us, not only as individuals but as a leadership team for the church. And so we're going to devote a couple of hours a week 
to walk our way through that. That's just a step we're going to take. What's a step that you might take? Where might God be leading you to move into the future in a different way? If we can trust God and listen to this advice, the promise is at the very end of the text. Jesus says, So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. What steps could you take to be rich toward God? If you can trust God and heed this advice, I think you'll begin to grow in your richness toward God. And it will be a blessing to you, and it will be a blessing to all those around you. Amen. And thanks be to God.